Today's scripture will be taken from Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced these Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, teaching him and saying, Teacher, what is the great command in law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great command, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On, this two, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Good morning and welcome again. We're very glad that you are with us today. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that we have. We're very thankful for the privilege that we have to be together today. It's a beautiful day. We have lots of people here, lots of visitors, and for that, we are very, very grateful. It is good to see Peggy Hunt with us today. This is, a, this is the first time that Peggy's had the opportunity to be with us for quite some time. As you know, she has been standing at the side of Doc for the last several years, and Doc recently lost his battle but we are glad that he is now in the presence of God and that she's able to be back with us. And we hope and pray that God will bless her with many more years in his service. And we're glad that Bud is able to be with her and be, a, be such a great encouragement to her on a daily basis. We're going to be looking today at Matthew, the 22nd chapter. In Matthew chapter 22, we have a number of individuals seeking to entangle, entrap Jesus in his speech. But in verse 34, we have an account of the Pharisees upon hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees gathering together. And one of the interpreters of the law, one of those numbered among these people, posed a very interesting question to Jesus. He wanted to know, what is the great commandment in the law? Interestingly, Jesus responded by saying, there are two great commandments. And on, all of, on these two great commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I want us to think for a moment or two about the theme, Do You Love the Lord? Some of the songs that we have been privileged to sing this morning remind us of the tremendous love that God has for us and the love that we in turn have for him. And of course, John said in 1 John chapter 4 at verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. And so we reciprocate the love that God has shown to us as his people. But what does it mean to truly love God? With that in mind, I want us to, first of all, look at what Jesus said in verses 37 and following. And as we look at what he says, I would call your attention to his exhortation to love, the command to love. What you need to understand is there was a demand to love recorded all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy. And really it was what might be called the original declaration. 
And so when this interpreter of the law asked Jesus, what is the great commandment in the law? Here's what the Lord said. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your mind. Now I said a moment ago that this goes back to an original declaration made on the plains of Moab in the country of Jordan as we know it today. And it was given by God through Moses, the great lawgiver and leader of ancient Israel. Some have said that when you go back and you look at the old law, there were some 613 commandments in the law. And no doubt this interpreter of the law, when he posed this question, has in mind all of these great commandments. And he's, and he's thinking, all right, out of all these great commandments, what is the greatest of these? Well, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Now, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, God said through Moses, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your might. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently unto your children. He said, You shall teach them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. In other words, you need to be impressing upon your children the importance of loving Almighty God. Now in Deuteronomy chapter 7, God had specifically said to the children of Israel that he loved them, that they were his special people. And you go back and look at the book of Exodus and God had said to Moses that he was entering into a covenant relationship with his people. And what God wanted on behalf of Israel was their love in return. And I would submit unto you that the basis of this commandment is, is really realized in, 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 in this way. When they understood that God loved them and loved them deeply, in turn, they would honor his will. They would love him, yes. But they would be more than happy to be obedient to his commands in, in, in this sense. They would understand God has showered upon them all of these great blessings. Back in Exodus chapter 19, God had said, you have seen how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. He said, now therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my commandments, you will be unto me a special treasure Above all people, God entered into this covenant relationship with his people. He, he, he instructed them to be obedient unto him. They responded by saying, all that the Lord has said, that will we do. They were more than happy to comply. But God said, what I want you to do is love me. If you really love me, then what? Then you'll honor my word. So we think about this demand to love. But then there's a second thing. What about the depth? the dimensions of their love. Listen again to what Jesus said. Jesus again is responding to this interpreter of the law. This man wants to know what is the great commandment? What's the greatest of these great commandments? Well, Jesus said, you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Now, no doubt there are dimensions of man. We talk about the heart. And when we talk about the heart, we're talking about the seat of emotions, our affections, and then the soul, that life that animates the body. 
and then the mind, the intellect, the, the thoughts, the, the convictions that we have. Well, I don't really think that the emphasis so much is on these varying dimensions of man as, as it is that Jesus is simply saying this. I want you to love me with everything you have. In other words, I want you to give me everything. I want every fiber of your being to love me. Now, granted, as we said a moment ago, when we truly love God, and what, what Moses said in the long ago to the children of Israel, if you truly love God, you're going to honor his word. And so we think about this great exhortation to love, the command to love. But I want you to think with me in the second place about the evidence of love. When we talk about the evidence of love, we're really, I think, emphasizing the fact that, that we're we're demonstrating, we are confirming our love to the Lord. How do we show our love to the Lord? Well, first of all, we have to, we have to understand, we have to realize the tremendous love that God has for us. Now you go back to the old covenant and I think about Jeremiah in the long ago. Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31 verse three said on behalf of God, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I pointed out in Deuteronomy chapter seven a moment ago that God talked about the special relationship that he enjoyed with the Israelite nation, how they were his people. He chose them. He lavished upon them tremendous blessings. He entered into a covenant relationship with them. And he pointed out that he loved them. He stressed that fact. Well, today, we have to understand and realize that God deeply loves us. When you, when you think about the, the character and the nature of God, what comes to mind? We talk about all of these great attributes of God, his holiness, the fact that he is a holy being, and Moses stressed that in the book of Leviticus. Peter stresses that in 1 Peter chapter 1. The righteous character of God. We, we talk about his omniscience, the fact that he is all-knowing, his omnipotence, he is all-powerful. His omnipresence, the idea that he is ever-present. But what about his love? Go back again and you look at the Old Testament, you look at the New Testament, and they fit hand in glove. And, and over and over again, here's what God is saying to the human family. I love you. Why does God love the human family? Because the basis of God's character is love. First John chapter four, verse eight. Here's what John said centuries ago. God is love. God is a being of love. What God wants us to understand is that he is a being of love. Does he want our love in return? Does he want us to reciprocate that love? Absolutely. But you and I cannot reciprocate that love until we realize the depth of the love of God, until we come to understand that God has deeply loved us. Let me give you a couple of passages of scripture. The great golden text of the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
We emphasize that passage and no doubt many of us have committed that verse to memory. But that verse stresses, it emphasizes, it underscores the magnitude of love that God has for the entirety of the human family. God loves the world. The scope of his love is worldwide. In Romans chapter five, Paul said in the long ago, but God commendeth his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated, he manifested his love toward those of us who belong to the human family. How did God show us he genuinely loved us? Well, he sent his son to die for our, our sins. You remember what Paul said in Romans chapter eight? He said, God spared not his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all. Again, underscoring the love of God. In 1 John chapter four, John said, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then think about what Jesus said. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And so the Bible over and over again emphasizes the tremendous love that God has for us. Now, it may be the case that we have not paused long enough to really let the love of God sink into our minds, to understand it. Maybe sometimes we think about the love of God in abstract terms. Maybe we fail to take it personally, the fact that God loves me individually. I believe that God loves each and every person. God is mindful of the human family. As a matter of fact, you could look at the redemptive plan. If there were but one person to have ever lived, Jesus would have died for that one person. When you read about the love that God has for the human family, the love that God has for the world, insert your name there. Make it personal. Understand God loves you. Now, once we realize the love of God, here's the hard part. Responding in love to the love of God. Look again at what Jesus said to this teacher, or rather this interpreter of the law. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I want you to think about Christianity for a moment. If you were to meet someone on the street and they were to ask you, tell me about Christianity, what would you say? If someone were to come up to you somewhere in this world, whether it be on the ball field, at school, at work, wherever, and say, I've heard about Christianity, I've heard about Jesus, I've heard about the story of the cross, but I really don't understand it. What would you say? Could you sit down and in a very concise way explain the redemptive story? The fact that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day, that God genuinely loves people. Could you explain that? What if someone were to say, well, 
I understand all of that. But what about all of these commands? What, what about the commands that, that are set forth in the scriptures? What does all that mean? I want to say that sometimes I think people misunderstand the nature of Christianity. And they misunderstand the nature of the commands that are set forth in the scriptures. The commands of God are not intended to be a burden, but rather a blessing. I want you to think about all of the commands that are given in the scriptures. When God preemptively set forth these commands, he had the heart of man in his best interest. God wants what's best for all of us. And when you begin to look at the commands of God, these commands are intended to be a blessing to us and not a burden. Sometimes, however, I think that as members of the human family, and to those who know nothing about Christianity or to some who may know a little bit about Christianity, when they think about these commands, they view them as a burden, as something that they just have to do. Well, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. When you truly understand the love of God, then his commandments are not a burden. They're not, they're not grievous to be born. John said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. They're not a burden to be born. Now just think with me for a moment or two about the commands of God. Is there a reason behind which God sets forth certain commands, certain ideals in Scripture? We talk about responding in love to the love of God. How do I respond in love to the love of God? Let me just show you some ways that we evidence our love for God. First of all, I think about worship. Worship is something that we give God. There are a lot of people in our world today, many people in the religious realm, that, that confuse worship with entertainment. Worship is not entertainment. It's not about being entertained. We come to give. Do we get something in return? Absolutely. But we come to give. The word worship means acts of reverence paid to deity. In other words, we're giving God that which he is rightfully due as a sovereign ruler of the universe. As the psalmist said, oh come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Worship affords us the opportunity to bow in the presence of God. Now, sometimes we talk about we have to go to worship or we have to go to church, as sometimes we say it. I want us to move from the idea of having to come to worship to wanting to come to worship. Well, how do we get to the point where we want to come to worship? Well, we have to understand the nature of God. We have to realize who God is, what God has done on our behalf. We have to develop a relationship with God. You have to develop a relationship with the Lord and then, you'll, then you will want to be in his presence. I want you to think a moment or two about the dating process. You remember when you, those, those of us who are married now, you remember when you dated? Those of you who are, are not married, you remember, you remember, well, do you, you, you know what the dating process is all about. And I want you to think about it this way. I, I remember when I was dating. 
Every opportunity I had, guess where I was? I was at Nancy's house. Now, I wasn't there because I feared getting beat. I, I feared getting beaten because I wasn't there. I, I wasn't there because I felt like I had to be there. I was there because I wanted to be there. Because I wanted to be in her presence. I, I don't know how many miles I, I drove back and forth to her house. But I can tell you this, every opportunity I had to be with her, I took that opportunity. Well, from the vantage point of worship, we have to develop a love affair with the Lord, for lack of a better way to say it. We have to fall in love with the Lord to the extent that we want to be in his presence. Now, I know that the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter, chapter 10, verse 25, talks about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Some apparently were not attending worship like they should have been. But I promise you, the more you come to worship, the more you will want to come to worship. It, it, it's something that, that feeds on itself. In Psalm 42, the psalmist talks about the deer panting after the water brook. And he said, as the deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. And in that context, he's talking about worship. He talks about going with the multitudes to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise. When we get an understanding of who God is and what God is and what God has done for us, then I think we want to come to worship. It's not a matter of, do I have to come? But it's, it's, it's viewed as something we want to do. And then I think about our Bible study. I understand that there is individual Bible study and corporate Bible study. I was thinking this past week in preparation for this lesson about Bible study and about the opportunity to come, particularly on Wednesday night. I understand that we're busy. We have things going on. I know what it's like to work all day in the secular world and then come home, try to get ready and get back to services at 7 o'clock at night. It's tough sometimes. But listen, it's just one hour a week. If our children have a ball game on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, where are we? We're at the ball field. Well, what about coming to Bible study? Here's what I was thinking about. I've never heard an older couple say to me, I regret when our children were young taking them to Bible study on Wednesday nights. I've never heard that. But there have been people that have expressed regret for not being what they ought to have been when their children were young. No doubt there are many parents that wish now they had taken their children to Bible study. We have to grow spiritually, and one of the ways that we grow spiritually is by feeding on his word. The psalmist said in the long ago, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. I promise you the more time you spend in this book, the more you will grow to love it. The more amazed you will stand at what this, you, the more amazed you will stand 
in the presence of this book. No wonder the psalmist said many, many centuries ago, my heart stands in awe of your word. God's word is simply amazing. You've got to read it, study it, meditate on it. The more time you spend in this book, the more you'll realize it is a golden treasure. It's a treasure waiting to be mined. And then prayer. Again, I think about the dating process. When Nancy and I were dating, you know what we did? You know what we spent time doing? Talking on the phone. Those of you that are married now, do you ever spend time talking to the person you're married to? When they called, when you heard that phone ring and you picked it up and you said hello and it was the voice of your boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, whatever, did you ever think, I can't believe they're calling again? Man, I wish they'd leave me alone. You ever, you ever say that? Well, maybe if you were mad. But for the most part, when that phone rang, man, we wanted to pick it up. We were glad to talk to them. Well, God is our heavenly Father. Does God know what's going on in my life? Absolutely. Do I have to articulate Everything going on in my life to God, no. But God still wants to hear from me. God wants me to make requests of him. The Bible says pray without ceasing. Prayer is to be a vital part of the Christian life. Listen, think about it this way. God is our father. We are his children. As a father, you want to hear from your children? As a mother, do you want to hear from your children? Do you want them to pick up the telephone and say, hi, what's going on, how you doing? Absolutely. God wants to hear from us. Why? Because we are his people. The Hebrew writer said, let us therefore draw boldly under the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then what about our service in the kingdom? Again, we talk about the work of the church. Look, if you look at it as, as a burden, it will be a burden. But if you look at it as a labor of love, it will be a labor of love. And the idea is to get involved in the work of the church. The, the Bible tells us we have been created in Christ Jesus under good works in Ephesians 2 verse 10. We are to be zealous for good works in Titus 2 verse 14. We are to be ready unto every good work. All right, so we're sitting on go. We have things to do in the kingdom of God. How are we to view it? As a burden or as a blessing? Well, if you look at it like the people to whom Paul wrote in the first century, you'll look at it as a blessing. It is called a labor of love. Let me just say this. There are a lot of jobs that, that, that you can have in this life. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of different occupations that people can choose. Our son Braden right now is trying to decide what he's gonna do for the rest of his life. My advice to any young person, and we have a lot of young people here, is choose a profession that you want to spend the rest of your life doing. Find something that you enjoy doing and do it to the best of your ability. Listen, I love what I do. I absolutely love what I do. When I go to bed on Sunday night, I don't dread Monday morning. 
When I go to bed on Monday night, I don't dread Tuesday morning. Why? Because I love what I do. Well, that's the way it ought to be in the kingdom of God. We ought to love serving the Lord. And then finally, what about our giving? Remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, the Bible talks about how the Lord loves a cheerful giver. We are simply returning to God what he has blessed us with. Well, do you love the Lord? I hope you do. And I hope your love for him is reflected in your daily life. Maybe you're here today and you are not a member of the body of Christ. Maybe you are not what Maybe you are not where you need to be. Well, if you're not a member of the body of Christ, here's what you need to do. Do what they did on Pentecost Day when the church began. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Acts 2 verse 38. When you believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess his name and are baptized, God then adds you to the church. Acts 2 47. Maybe you're here today, maybe your love has not been what it ought to be. Maybe you're not where you ought to be as a child of God. Here's, 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 here's the privilege of being members of the body of Christ. We can pray for one another, James 5, 16. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. Could we pray with you and for you as we stand and sing?